0: This podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Today, I have Katherine Witcher, the master IEP coach, to talk all about IEPs and all that fun stuff that we don't really love to do but we got to do it anyway. So Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Hallie.
1: I'm so excited to be here and talk all things IEP because we do need to make it more fun and joyful because IEPs can change a child's life. We all know that. So I'm excited to talk strategy to make that happen.
0: Yeah, So tell us a little bit about you and your journey into becoming a master IEP coach. Sure. So I'm a special needs sibling. I'm a former
1: special education classroom teacher. I taught for a few years that I was teaching by day and I was coaching parents by night. And that led into teaching parents, and schools how to work together. Schools brought me to do consulting. And long story short, for the last 20 years, I've been traveling the country, helping IEP teams build IEPs that work in the real world. So a few years back, people said, can you teach me to do what you do? And I told them no for a really long time. I was like, no. No, I don't know. I, I don't know how to teach you to do what I do. I just do what I do. But I built the Master IEP Coach Mentorship, and that's really where I took all my tools for 20 years and... I sat down and I structured it and and put it together. And so we have hundreds, almost thousands of master AP coaches now across the country that are using these collaborative strategies. And it's all about, of course, we, we talk about keeping child focused and we talk about, you know, making sure that we're being compliant in our IEPs. But there's more than that. When we change a child's IEP, we change their life, we change a family's life, and it's possible to do this collaboratively and creatively. And that's really what the Master IEP Coach Mentorship focuses on. And those are the some
0: of the strategies that I'm going to bring to you guys today. Oh, I'm so, so excited because I find, especially in the schools, because SLPs can work anywhere, but in the schools, the IEP is what guides our instruction and our ability to even work with that child. So what are some of your best tips for making sure that everything is covered that needs to be covered in an IEP?
1: So I love to start in a different place than most people. So I'm looking at a period input statement. Every state has them and they're labeled something different depending on what software you're using, what district you're in, what kind of your jargon is in your district. A lot of times it's called parent educational concerns. But I like to use that section as a parent input statement. Now, a lot of times I'm talking with teachers i I'm helping them gather this information from the parents. I'm talking to parents and i telling them how to participate in, in getting their parent input statement in there. I would love to have more of our speech therapists and communication teams really digging into this because this is the key for learning and relationships and digging in at a whole other level. I don't like that speech is put to the side. It's kind of like, well, we have our program and then it's like, and there's services over here for speech. And I'm like, no, no, we need to bring all of this in. When we talk equal IEP team member, I'm talking everybody and that includes parents and professionals. So In that parent input section, that parent educational concerns, a lot of times it's a drag. Like parents are like, I don't know, I'm concerned about, you know, my child can't sit with anybody at lunch. Is that a valid concern? hundred percent. But we need to look at what are the goals in that or what are the family's goals outside of the school system saying, you know, I want to be able to go on vacation. I want to be able to go to Target and not have meltdowns. I want to be able to do those things. When we have great parent input, it gives speech therapist, a great place to say, okay, I've got to focus because we all know there's 99 things or more that you could be working on with every student. So parent input is where we start. It's where I I would love to have your listeners go, oh, I've never thought of looking there to get the answers to what to come next or build a relationship with the
0: parents to figure out how we can enhance that section of the IEP. I love that. I love that by getting to know more about what their goals outside of school and like you wouldn't even think that a parent struggling to take their child to target can give us targets to work on in school. Like I I love that just having that open dialogue with the parents and families. And I love it working collaboratively and as a team, how can we help this family achieve their goals. I love it. Absolutely. And that's exactly where, you know, you said, what are the
1: strategies? Like, where should we start? And then I go, okay, so now let's look at those goals and let's make sure that those goals are real world goals. Meaning that we're actually going to use them both short-term and long-term, that they make sense. The time that students have with a dedicated speech therapist is limited. We need to get real smart and prioritize, what are we going to do during that time that's going to have the biggest impact? I just heard a statistic um, this weekend. uh, We had our Master IEP Coach Leadership Weekend, and we learned a lot of cool things. And we had an SLPA who was talking, and she said that if a child only worked on their speech goals during speech time, it would take an average of 84 years for them to get to a basic communication level. And I was like, um, Holy guacamole! <laughs> what? Like, like we you put a number on it like that, I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay, so um, yeah, let's just take this next level then. So when we talk about real world IEP goals we're talking about things that the entire team can support you on to move this child forward and this is a perfect time to kind of remind everybody that the entire purpose of an IEP is not just provide an appropriate public education everybody knows that one free and appropriate public education it's what causes all the tension and special education because we're you know always negotiating that like what's appropriate in that but it's also to meet a child's unique needs and to prepare them for further education, employment, and independent living. And I didn't make it up. It's in the purpose and findings of ideal law. And then this is where I say, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> I'm just telling you where to look. have been doing this a long time. I can tell you exactly where to look. So as a speech therapist looking like, oh, like my job doesn't have to just be the same thing over and over that we really can customize, make this unique, and look at this further education employment, an independent living. Even in kindergarten, we're saying like, okay, what's gonna be the long-term impact of this goal, like, does it make sense? And how can I make sure that I'm using my expertise in the best way that I can help the child and then help
0: the team help the child. So this is more of a whole team approach in language. I love it because I find so often like, I'll be working on something that the teachers are working on something, but we're not doing it together because we don't have the time to actually communicate about it. Or I will say that they've mastered it, and the teacher's like, Well, no, they have it. Like, it's there's so many, everyone's so busy sometimes that we don't have the time to collaborate, which is really what our students need it's not yeah, it, working together to for that common goal of their success. Yeah. And so here's here's your time-saving
1: hack as a, a speech Okay, When we go to that parent input statement, when you can get on board, and most teachers are trying to pull information from parents. They just haven't structured it or formalized it. And that's something we love to do as Master IP coaches, kind of st- like formalize this process to make sure that parents are having input on all areas, academics, functional, social, emotional, communication, relationships, employment, all of these things that we're getting this information on there. So, yeah, a lot of times it does feel like we're doing a lot of great things, but they're kind of isolated. It's like speech is working on this and OT is working on that and teachers working on this. And we've isolated those areas of need instead of saying, here's the child. And we all know that if we could come together and work on goals, we would learn that you would see that the child would reach their milestones faster, that they can go kind of deeper into those skills. So instead of having many things that we're doing a little bit on, Let's have a little bit of things that we're doing a lot on and watch the child just flourish and experience success.
0: I love it. And I'm a huge advocate of less is more, like less goals. Let's focus what they really need at this moment. Like, yes, there's so many things that we can work on, but you got to start somewhere. So what advice would you give to someone who's like, how do you decide what to even work on? So I I go back to saying what is going to have this biggest
1: impact both inside and outside of the classroom? Because part of the team working on goals means that we need to include parents in that part. So again, so let's go back to this target example, right? So we know that there are families that quite honestly, will not go to Target or any other type of store. Yeah, we have all of these, you know, we can pick it up and we can have two hour delivery. We can have that. But sometimes you just need to go to the store. It just is what it is. And so, if we pick a goal that we can work on, let's say, waiting in line, like that's where the child wants that food item or that toy item, that item that they picked out, and putting it on the belt and waiting for it to be paid for, and then opening it up after it's paid for is like, oh my goodness, torture kind of thing. So, Working on those communication skills and that whole social story piece of what's going to happen and understanding all that first and next, those are things that the entire team could be working on because you have to have students wait. For their session or wait to go back to class or their wait. There's a lot of waiting in school. Let's just put it (laughs) out there. And that's okay because that's a life skill. There's communicating frustration without falling to the ground there or screaming, right? How do we turn that scream into the like, I'm frustrated and, and I want this right now. I'm looking at this bigger picture and then breaking it down. Now, Mom, dad, caregivers, they're going to naturally work on this skill out in the community in real time. So then you can have some great parent training in there of like, here, this is how we're prompting at school. This is how your child responds well to waiting At school. Now it may not work in the community exactly the same. So let's talk about that. If it doesn't, but just you know, this is what I'm doing. This is the communication of the feelings or what they want or what they need, or even asking to know that they have to go to the bathroom when they're out in public. I mean, there's all different communication skills that are just throughout that entire process that mimic each other, meaning out in the community and in school. So anytime you can make that parallel and it's going to make a
0: difference, that's where you're going to see the biggest leaps when you're working together. I love it. And that's what we want to we our goal is our goal is one that for them not to even need us anymore. Our like especially as SLPs, like I know sometimes want to hold on to them and say they're going to need us forever, but our goal is really to not be needed anymore and for them to have their independence. And I love it that by looking at it globally like that and looking at more, what do they need in school and out of school and not just in school and academics, you're going to really get more bang for your buck. I, I love that. Absolutely. What advice would you give to someone who's really struggling with getting the team to work together to generate this IEP?
1: So one of the things that I love to have teams come together on is to really make sure that they're clear on who's responsible for what. Because a lot of the disconnects, a lot of the pushback of I can't do that or I can't add that in, it's because it feels heavy as a responsibility of something else to add on to your plate. So whether it's a speech therapist who's saying, let's work on this. And then in the classroom, you know, this could happen. And the teacher's like, whoa, whoa, whoa like I've got enough on my plate. And I know, I've worked in the schools, right? I've seen, I've probably been the teacher that like runs after the speech therapist, like, okay, hang on, I just got one question and adding things on. And there's a lot of conflict and tension that happens when we're adding on responsibilities. I think we can all agree that we're there for the same reason. We're there to help this child become an effective communicator, to be as independent as possible, to do all of that. But the tension happens when we're, Overstressed and on overload. So if you can step back and say, okay, so here's the parent's vision and here's what's happening and here are the struggles and here are the things they love and here are the things that they're not so sure about. And then, okay, let's look at these goals and let's make sure that they're attached to the real world. Are we going to have this meeting? And then we say, okay, so like, what does this look like for implementation? Who's going to be responsible for what? Because it shouldn't all fall. on the speech therapist, nor should it all fall on the classroom teacher. We've got children that are going to inclusion and they're supposed to have visuals and they're going to gym and then there's no visuals and they can't communicate. Then we have these meltdowns and all these things spiral out of control. So it's like we have to step back out of the chaos and say, what am I responsible for? What can I delegate? What can we cooperate on? And start to to truly outline that. I actually love to use the IEP for that process. I like to put it in writing. That's like putting it in stone, which yes, we can erase it and redelegate and do those things. But in some capacity, being able to say like the speech therapist is going to create the tools for when the child is in multiple environments. So like following directions in art or gym or those kind of things. That will actually, the teacher goes, okay, so you're going to be in charge of that, and then I'm going to make sure that we have, and then we start to
0: just cooperate in a different way. I love it. I love it that it's all together and making sure it's in writing. And it's not up to that la- meeting in front of the parents to make those decisions. Like, got to do it at a time and be all on the same page before you get to the tape.
1: Absolutely. Have the conversations of like, OK, we have the parent input. We have this. We we're working on, you know, a lot of times people say like, well, we have to write everything right at the IEP. Oh, okay, like that's where you might do your final documentation. But realistically, again, like, let's just call it out. We all know that we're coming up with a plan or we should be coming up with a plan that is flexible, that is in kind of that draft mindset of, okay, here's what we're thinking of going forward with all the information, with all the data, with all the things that we have, this is how it would look for implementation. Now let's go talk about it. I always say IEP meetings are not the time to bring up problems or things that are a surprise to anybody. Nobody should be surprised. The IEP table is a great mastermind place. This is the place where you get to be an expert and get creative and get excited about the things that a child could be achieving.
0: I love it. I love it. That If you go in there with that sort of positivity, it's not stressful. It's just a meeting. Like you do it all the time. I love it. I love it. Getting so excited about the potential for this individual that you're creating this document for. It's not, don't look at it as paper. It's someone's academic success. And I love it. I love that positivity. It should be exciting. And that's one of the things that I'm going to be talking about in this upcoming school year a whole lot.
1: Like this should be exciting. IEP goals feel like a ball and chain just dragging you down When they're not meaningful, they're not attached to a celebration in the way of like, oh my gosh, look, they did it. Now they can. And you can see this joy. You can focus on those goals. I mean, I get it. Articulation. You're like, how many times? You celebrate it because maybe they're going to be able to say their sister's name now. And maybe they're going to be able to request their favorite food. And maybe they're going to be able to have a different type of communication and build relationships because of that boring articulation goal that you've worked on over and over. and over. Now, pair it up with some excitement and get ready because then you can see when you're excited, the student's going to get excited and it's
0: going to really get cemented into their mastery. I love it. And you brought up a good point, which I'm going to be my next question. What advice would you give to someone who feels that these students are not meeting their goals. I know a lot of times that's people like, do we just roll it over, write it just a little bit differently next year? What advice would you give to someone who's struggling with, they are still working on our? How many different R goals can I come up with when they're not grasping it yet? So I always say that it's OK in most situations. There's never an absolute in
1: special education. There's always going to be an exception. But it's OK in most cases to take a break from a goal. And taking that break does not mean that you're giving up. It doesn't mean that you're settling, that the child's never going to get there. A break can absolutely be documented in the IEP, as in there's no goal written for R and then in this IEP. However, this is on hold. We are coming back to it. We will be revisiting it in six months. And what that does is it takes the compliance out of that goal for those six months. I mean... Think about the child's point of view. They're should up have to work with you for those 15, 20, 30 minutes with others, And they're failing and failing and failing and failing. I know that you feel like a failure when the kids are not meeting their goals. You're like, what else am I gonna do? Like, yeah, we've been doing this 18 months and I'm gonna have to report again that the data is not where it needs to be to say mastery. Well, the child feels the same way. And you know what? I don't wanna show up to a job that I'm failing at every day. I, I don't want that. And neither does a child. So sometimes taking a break and letting them show up in a different area and giving them some success that they can build off of. And then as you have that momentum going, kind of reintegrating things back in and then maybe making it an official goal again a little bit later,
0: that's okay. That's been a strategy that I've seen work hundreds of times. I love that. Love that. Make that child feel like coming to speech is for a different purpose. Maybe it's to work on just building confidence, building something. And then once they're building that confidence, work back on that R or whatever goal it may be. I love that integrating a, a break. And I love that analogy of like us going to work and not seeing success. Like uh, it's so true. It's, it's so, so true that we have to put ourselves in the perspective of our students sometimes and think how do they feel about the situation. Absolutely. Love it. What advice would you give to someone who feels just that overwhelm of, paperwork and due dates and deadlines and getting it all in on top of teaching and everything else going on? One of the biggest
1: misconceptions that I think, especially new practitioners that sometimes are veteran practitioners that are just in a groove and then all of a sudden they get flooded and, you know, it's not, not a great year or that. But So whether you're new or you're just feeling flooded or something's happening, you have to realize that it's never going to all be done. It's like you're working towards the spinach line and there's not. It's constantly going to be changing. It's constantly going to be evolving. So yes, prioritize your deadline, prioritize your data and your compliance. And sometimes that means leaving some of the fluffy stuff out. And what I mean by that is a lot of times we get overwhelmed of, you know, welcome to Instagram and our highlight reels and all the things that look running over to the target dollar spot and picking up all the fun stuff. Sometimes it's not about that. It's for target run. It's about just doubling down and saying, I'm going to get to, I'm going to have all my compliance done. I'm going to have all my deadlines done. And if that's as far as I get, I'm still going to show up and be the best speech therapist with the resources and the tools that I have. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we're spending, and I say we, because it's practitioners in general in special education, we spend a lot of time on that creative side of things, which is fun and exciting, but it's almost like, all right, I'm going to give you a first and next <laughs> as a provider, right? It's like, first, let's get done the basics and realize that you're never going to reach the end of this, okay? So just take that process off, that, that, that thinking off, like if that this is a process. And it's like, what needs to get done today, tomorrow, next week, next month? Get that compliance on your calendar. Those are your big rocks. We talk about those are your big rocks. We get the big rocks in. Then you can sprinkle in
0: all of the things that are going to take things next level. I love it. It's like it, it's Not every session has to be perfect. The students, one, don't care or notice. It's, it's mostly us that care. And and if you have fun, your students will have fun, even if it's with a paper clip and you're just spinning it around. So it doesn't have to be fancy to be effective. So, so true. I love it. And just realizing that like, whether we like it or not, we have to be compliant. So we have to get this stuff done. And something has to give sometimes and it's okay. Absolutely. It's you great- cannot do it all. You should not be doing it all. It's okay. What advice would you give for someone who a parent is not in, in agreement with some decisions you make? Have the conversation and build the trust. A lot of times when a
1: parent is in disagreement, they will put up a defensive, you know, wall and have a hard time letting you in and a hard time describing why they're not in agreement or what they're saying of why they're not in agreement isn't the true reflection of what's going on internally, meaning a lot of times parents are experiencing grief And that's not just for new diagnosis. That's at every stage of a child's life. When you're raising a child with a disability, you start to see different gaps, different challenges, different things. So when a parent is in disagreement, a lot of times it's because they see something different and they might be having trouble expressing that, whether it's a difference between their child and typical peers who are not experiencing the same challenges or that they're seeing, they're not seeing progress. So they're frustrated. So they're like, we're not doing this anymore. You need to switch it up. You need to go get different training. You need to do all these things. And it's like, okay, so let's step back and say, what's the end goal? What are we looking for? What's the most frustrating part for you right now? And when they hear you say that they're like, ah, okay, well, my most frustrating thing." Is I can't cook dinner because my child's laying on the floor screaming and has no independent play skills. Now, they're not going to use those words, right? They're going to describe the whole throwing the iPad across the room. Or it could be, you know what? My child's been sick for six weeks and they haven't slept. So, yeah, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, but I'm more worried because my child can't tell me where they hurt. My child doesn't tell me what they're feeling. My child. that, like, okay, all right, well, then let's refocus. You know what? We're not going to do that R articulation. We're going to work on making sure the child can express where their pain is at or what they need, or we're going to work on choices for independent play and build up their time for independent play with preferred activities, but we have to be able to communicate with them, right? Of like, what is their preferred activity and how are they going to get through an activity by themselves? So when you feel conflict from a parent, when you feel that shutdown, when you feel that defensiveness, lean in
0: and relationship build. I love it. I, love it I find often as SLPs, we're the bearer of bad news, like your child no longer qualifies, where it should be a celebration, like they're doing well. But then everyone's like, wait a minute. Like, what do you oh my, mean? I'm pulling. We, we <laughs> yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> um, So
1: it's one of my favorite things to help therapists with in the school is that you got to get really good in whatever your personality is, whatever your communication style is. Okay. You got to get really good at explaining the difference between a clinical model and a school model or a medical model and a school model. So when you're exiting a child out of services or you're reducing services, the parents do not have that base knowledge. I promise you I'm working on it. Inside of the master, I think it was mentorship, right? Like I'm putting this out there all the time. I'm all over social media talking about this all the time. But being able to, you have to go and revisit the eligibility categories and explain to them like, If I was your child's speech therapist on the outside, this would be different criteria, but being in the schools, this is our obligation. Like, honestly, there's nothing else I can do about that because this is what's happening in school. And you know what? We can check back at certain intervals. You can always exit a child from services and still have a check-in six Mm -hmm. months from then and give them some security that it's not just that you drop them in the middle of the ocean. And we hope that they need help, that you'll be there. It's like there can be a check-in with those things. So it's important for the parents to understand that difference. And depending on what district you're working in, it will really framework, how comfortable you are or how much you're going to share in that conversation. So a lot of times that can be a sticky conversation and the schools aren't allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. So don't framework it like that. Just say there's a difference between a school-based model and a clinical model, two
0: different criteria. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times if we word certain things a certain way, like they could benefit from speech, but not here. Then it's like, then the district has to pay for it. Or is it like, it's just some sort of touchy subjects of stuff. I mean, you got to just watch how you word things. But, ah, but th- I love that advice of just being confident and say and it's sometimes it's just we're the messengers and like you said all along put a positive spin on it like this is a good thing they're progressing and if the gap comes back if the deficit comes back
1: like there's this myth out in the parent world and i don't know if, if you know speech therapists if you guys know this but there's this myth of like once you give up a therapy or a service or something in the school district that it's going to take tens of thousands of dollars of parents advocating to get the service back. So they don't want to let you go because they've been told that they will never get you back. And it's like, no, the process is the same. Is it going to take a little longer? Yeah. Just because there's timelines and you're going to request an evaluation and we have to look at these... But on the other hand, we're not starting from scratch either, because then we get to say, like, okay, well, in fourth grade, the child was here and they were comparable to their peers. And in sixth grade, oh, yeah, ouch, something's going on here. We have a deficit. We have a gap. And we look at our scales and and all of a sudden you don't have to go, well, should we do this? It's like, well, we've done this before and we closed a gap and let's do it again. Mm -hmm. um, And that it's hard for parents to realize that our school system is reactive and not proactive that's just a fact and that there's different criteria from a clinical or medical based model versus a school, but it is possible for them to understand. So trust the parents with a little bit more information,
0: sharing with them exactly how the system works. I love that. I love that. And without giving up for good. And and in such, I work with the older students. And a lot of times we'll, you know, we'll have a case that comes up through like the RTI process and they're like, they did receive speech in kindergarten, first grade. Why did they drop it? And it's like, well, back then it might have been like a little lisp or an R and they caught up. And now there's other language based difficulties that were not present back then. So it's it's a different profile. You can't say, what was that therapist thinking? It's this is a different child with different needs now. It's the same child, but just a different age and different demands. And now we have to relook at this case again. And so I love it that it's it's It's, possible. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I love it. Any last bit of advice that you would give to someone who is just overwhelmed and stressed about the whole process and not confident on their writing skills or presenting skills to the parents and things like that? Sure. So just remember that the parents are not
1: reading the IEP with the clinical eye that you have. They want to know that you know their child. They want to know that you care about their child. They want to know that you are on their side and that you're going to help them reach these big goals of independence and being able to build relationships and communicate. So if you build the relationships before and after the IEP meetings and this whole official IEP process, you know, that if we come together once a year or more to do this, if you're building the relationship, then the parents will have grace for you beyond what you even have for yourself. You're being harder on yourself than the parents are with you. So build the relationship. Mistakes will be made. And if you have the relationship, there will be grace. You will be able to adjust. You will be able
0: to continue to grow in your own skills with that child. I love it. Thank you so much, Catherine, for coming on the show and sharing so much wisdom and advice. Where can everyone learn more about you and everything you have to offer? Well, you can hop on over to KatherineWitcher.com,
1: all of the social media things. It's all at Katherine Witcher. If you're looking to possibly become a master IEP coach, just head over to master IEP coach.com.
0: So, all the links, all the things are either at KatherineWitcher.com or master dot coach.com. And we'll have it on the show notes. But, you know, like to, in case someone's driving and not in front of a computer right now. When you get to work, then go check it out. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Catherine. And I always like to end my episodes with a joke. So my joke of the week is, what did the pen say to the pencil? I don't know. So what's your point? Oh, goodness. <laughs> ching. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show and everyone listening. I hope you got a nugget, a jolt of inspiration that you needed just like your morning cup of coffee. And I hope this helps you get through the week. And until next week, everyone, stay out of trouble. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode At www.speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. While you're there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.